Nowadays, there's stuff, and there's stuff you don't need to know. A podcast that talks about geek and nerd culture and brings you the things that you want to hear about. What's up, know-it-alls? You got stuff you don't need to know. I'm Jay. Let's get down to it. Well, the movies are most definitely back, I think. Uh, yeah, the pandemic is still having its effect out there, but this past weekend, Labor Day weekend, we got yet another Marvel movie. So today I'm going to be talking about Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. And before I go any further, I most definitely am going to say spoiler alert. You haven't seen this film? You don't want it spoiled? You better stop now. Press pause. Go watch it. Come back and take a listen because we are going to be spoiling it. So I think, first off, let's talk about the fact that uh, unlike Black Widow, which came out, uh, I believe, believe it or not, I believe it actually came out almost two months ago. Uh, Black Widow came out in theaters and was streamed on Disney Plus simultaneously. Disney Plus chose this time around not to stream Shang-Chi simultaneously. I think... 30 days after its release, you know, you will see it on uh, Disney Plus. But for now, it's only in the theaters. And I was just looking it up. So it's Monday. It's Labor Day. You know, Shang-Chi had this nice long weekend and it made $90 million. I mean, that's not too bad. And here's the thing. After seeing this film, I really think that Marvel undersold it. Uh, I think they could have put a little more, you know, no pun intended here. They could have packed a more more of a punch behind promoting this film because as you're going to hear as I discuss it, I think this was a hell of a film and I really think it would have done a lot better in the box office if Marvel had maybe given it more of a push. But again, look, that's my opinion. You know, it's one man's dumb opinion, as I like to say. You know, you have your opinion. I have my opinion. We'll meet somewhere in the middle. But yeah, I, I really do think it's kind of a crime that uh, Shang-Chi was not promoted much better. Still, though, I think $90 million in an opening weekend for, I mean, yeah, for a Marvel movie, I'm sure people are going to say, like, well, I only made $90 million. Uh, okay, we're still in the middle of a pandemic here. I will say this. I saw it this past Friday, and I saw it again like you know I've seen in a lot of uh, movies nowadays. I saw it in IMAX. You know, I really feel with a lot of these big blockbusters, I do want to see it in IMAX. I will pay that extra money for it, but actually, thanks to uh, Fandango, and the AMC Stubbs Reward. Uh, I'm not on the AMC uh, A-list, I think it's called. I just do the Stubbs Rewards. Uh, thanks to that, uh, I had some fees waived and I got a bit of a discount, so it actually kind of worked out in my favor there. But for films like this, I really do want to see it uh, in IMAX. I want to see it on the bigger screen. I want to see it with that sharper, clearer picture. I do love that. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I call it surround sound, but I'm sure it's like got some highly technical, you know, 10D stereo surround quadraphonic sound or something like that. But, you know, surround sound for, you know, a simpleton like me. You know, this is how I want to see these films. And, you know, yeah, it's the pandemic. And, yeah, it was the holiday weekend. You know, people were probably going away. I mean, myself, I went away to Boston this past weekend. Uh, great trip, by the way. I'll discuss that another time. But my theater was about... 75 to 80% full. And that's actually a lot better than when I saw Black Widow. When I saw Black Widow, I think my theater was about 50% full. Now, again, look, I am seeing an IMAX. Not everybody's going to want to see it in IMAX. But I think the fact that it was a holiday weekend 
It was for a Marvel film that really wasn't promoted very well and about a character that not a lot of people know about. And it's that extra cost to IMAX. The fact that my theater was 75% full, I think that does say something. But again, it's just one man's dumb opinion. Take it as you will. So before I go into the movie here, I'd like to talk about the character Shang-Chi just a little bit. Now, I'm no Shang-Chi expert. Uh, when I was growing up, Shang-Chi at the time, he was uh, he was just called the Master of Kung Fu. And he was basically Marvel's version of Bruce Lee. Uh, you know, hey, karate kung fu was really, really insanely popular in the 70s. That's when Shang-Chi was created. And he was basically just that. He was, he was essentially Bruce Lee. Uh, kind of fighting crime and, you know, drug lords. And of course, you know, it had an Asian theme to it. So he would fight like the triads, the Yakuza, some sort of maybe mystical like assassin clans and things like that. And he was basically supposed to be like, you know, just the greatest fighter out there or something like that. Um, he's definitely gone through some some changes, I would say, over the years. Recently, and I guess, you know, kind of getting ahead of the film coming out, the fact that, you know, it was announced, it's going to be part of, you know, Shang-Chi is going to be part of Phase 4. You know, Marvel started putting out Shang-Chi comics. Um, he did appear in Agents of Atlas, which I thought was absolutely phenomenal. That series, by the way was a really great series uh if you're if you don't know anything about it you know go out i think there's actually you know some um some collections of it now so you could definitely find agents of atlas uh you'll see an appearance of from jimmy Wu, and you'll be introduced to a lot of new and awesome characters one of which i do have a tattoo of uh if you can guess who it is you know message me and if you're right i'll let you know um probably if you follow me on my regular instagram you will see pictures of it but anyway i digress so shang chi started appearing in agents of atlas and getting ahead of the movies coming out they started to do a couple of series for shang chi and you know they kind of reinvented the character a bit uh they made him almost like an eternal sort of character he was he's pretty much considered you know one of the greatest fighters on earth um, in the comics, it's kind of, you know, some powers he has, some powers he doesn't. It kind of fluctuates back and forth. But they definitely reinvented and revamped the character. And the thing is, is a lot of what we saw on the screen is kind of taken from a little bit of everything, I would think, uh, in The Legend of Shang-Chi, let's just say, in terms of the comics. Uh, some characters were created for the film and, you know, for the MCU. And I'm sure it won't be long before we start to see them pop up in the comics. But, you know, I think taking a property like this, you know, I, I really think it's a good step forward for Marvel for a few reasons. Uh, first of all, for diversity's sake. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that or you know, one thing that some people have complaints about with sort of the Marvel Universe is the utter lack of diversity uh, in terms of female heroes and, you know, heroes that are, you know, people of color. This film, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, was an entire, it was an all-Asian cast. And, you know, I, I think, first of all, hands off, hats off, I should say, um, I think it was brilliant. Because, you know, not just, you know, diversity for diversity's sake, 
I think what this film did is it introduced uh, a lot of amazing Asian actors to the general public who probably wouldn't know these people. Um, first of all, let's talk about Shang-Chi, played by Simu Liu. Uh, if you're a fan of Kim's Convenience, then you'll know who Simu Liu is. He is Jung from that TV series. Other than that, you would have no idea who this guy is. So for most people, you know, people who don't watch Kim's Convenience, this guy's a newcomer to you. Uh, Tony Leung, who plays his dad, uh, who I guess you can call him the Mandarin. There's a little story behind that, and a little jokes and things like that. But Tony Leung, uh, you know, he's been a mainstay of Asian cinema for a while. If you follow any Asian cinema at all, you will know who Tony Leung is. He did a knockout, kick-ass job in this. And not, you know, again, this is this is a Marvel film. There's action, there's fighting, and, you know, with it being Shang-Chi, there's going to be a lot of martial arts action. Tony Leung, as an actor in this film, I mean, hands down, you know, I, I really feel he was one of the actors that really, really stole the show here. Michelle Yao. Okay, so if you listen to my podcast, uh, I do a segment called Black Belt Theater where I talk about, you know, it originally started out talking about kind of those cheesy kung fu films from the 70s, which I absolutely love and adore, and it kind of branched out into me talking about Asian cinema. And I've talked about Michelle Yao once or twice. Um, I have, and I shouldn't say, yeah, I have. I have a huge crush on Michelle Yao. I think even now, you know, all these years later, I still think she is absolutely gorgeous. Uh, her poise, her grace, her beauty, her elegance, and her acting. You know, she has a supporting role here, and she does, again, an amazing job. All right, let's talk about it. Let's talk about the elephant in the room, I guess. So, you know, the female lead, I guess, or one of the female leads in this film is Aquafina. All righty, so a lot of heat and a lot of shade was thrown towards this film and thrown towards Aquafina in general. Um, I was reading online, you know, before the film came out that a lot of people were going to boycott it and protest it and refuse to see it because of cultural appropriation. And I was like, okay, it's an all Asian cast. Where are we getting cultural appropriation here? Well, Aquafina is being accused of cultural appropriation because basically people say that, you know, pretty much her whole shtick is the fact that she tries to act black. Here's the thing. Aquafina is on a show called Nora from Queens, which is basically the story of her life. Uh, you know, Aquafina obviously is not her real name. You know, she's Nora, I think Nora Kim or Nora Lim. Uh, I should have looked it up. I feel really foolish now. But she is Nora from Queens, born and raised in Queens. Uh, I lived in Brooklyn for a few years, about five or six years, and, you know, I traveled into Queens quite often. I've actually met people who were born and raised in Queens. Aquafina is from Queens. People from Queens talk like that. It doesn't matter if they are white, black, Asian, Hispanic. There are a lot of people that were born and raised and grew up in Queens that that's how they talk and that's how they act. It's not a shtick. That's who Aquafina is. That being said, she toned a lot of that down. And, you know, in playing Katie, who was uh, the best friend of Shang-Chi, she did an amazing job. She actually turned in, you know, what I would call a subdued Aquafina performance because I've seen her in Nora from Queens. I saw her in Crazy Rich Asians. I saw her in a few other things. And she can turn it up a bit and she can kind of go over the top with the whole Queens thing and everything. And don't get me wrong, in the right setting, the right situation, the right writing, it's very, very funny. She's very, very funny. But here she really kind of dialed it back. 
And, you know, yes, she had her funny moments and there were some sort of what I would call Aquafina moments where she kind of went over the top a little bit. Uh, you know, those were all right. But she really knew how to balance the humor and the drama here. And I think she did an absolute stellar, stellar job. Now, Shang-Chi in this movie has a sister named Jilan. The actress's name, I cannot pronounce it. I am not even going to try to pronounce it. I don't even want to butcher it. Whoever she is, I have never seen her before, but I definitely want to see her again. She also did an amazing job, you know, portraying the role of Jian, Shang-Chi's sister. And not for nothing, she is very easy on the eyes. Gorgeous. And, you know, her athleticism, the fight scenes, amazing. All right, enough about that. Let's talk about the film. I love this film. I thought it was a very, very good film. Is it the best Marvel film out there? No, absolutely not. I would kind of put it, you know, right in the area of like of an Ant-Man, of a Black Panther, where I'm like, hey, it's a pretty good film. It's giving me a lot here. It's introducing me to some characters. You know, this this is not, you know, a top five Marvel film for me. Is it in the top 10? Maybe. Um, I definitely think seeing this now and going back and thinking about Black Widow, this is definitely better than Black Widow. Uh, and I really like Black Widow. And I still do like Black Widow. But Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings definitely goes above and beyond that. Um, it's an amazing story. And I think that is really the heart of it. This could have been just a classic or traditional kung fu action film with not a lot of meat to it, not a lot of substance to it, not a lot of story to it. It had a great story. We learned about the Ten Rings, what they are. Um, now, here's the thing. If you remember all the way back to Iron Man 3... We had the Ten Rings. They were a terrorist group. Um, ben Kingsley, you know, was portraying the Mandarin, who it turned out he was a, a pretty much down as luck, you know, drug-addled actor by the name of Trevor, who uh, the real Mandalorian hired to kind of like be a face for his whole evil organization and whatnot. Um, they had heard of the Army of the Ten Rings, probably because, you know, yes, the Army of the Ten Rings was real, but at this time, you know, uh, in the MCU, it's really more of a legend thing. So they pretty much appropriated it. And that's why if you ever saw, um, there's kind of like, I think if you get the um, the Iron Man 3 DVD, uh, there's a bonus feature which basically shows Trevor, who is, um, like I said, played by Ben Kingsley. Uh, you know, obviously he goes to prison and everything. He he learns very very quickly that the Ten Rings are real, the Mandarin is real, and he wants to see him. Uh, he actually ends up appearing in this film because actually Tony the Young, who you know, goes like he says, you know, he's basically an eternal. These these Ten Rings that he either stole or found or something grant him amazing powers uh energy powers and also they sustain his life he's pretty much lived for a few you know at least a thousand years i believe he says and you know so he's sort of like he, he's talking about names and how he's had many names and he's like guess now you know i guess you can kind of call me the mandalorian because of that whole thing with iron man and you know how they made the 10 rings a terrorist organization and this and that you know, it's really, I, I still, I think it's really good how they incorporated that into the story, you know, because that was, that was something I was a little, 
Uh, well, I don't want to say confused about. I really wanted to see where they would go with it, knowing that the Mandarin character and the Ten Rings were used. Um, they were used in the third Iron Man movie, and actually not for nothing. You know, and, and again, this is not me that discovered it. You know, I'm I, watching some stuff on YouTube. Um, in the first Iron Man film, when Iron Man is taken, is is held for hot, you know, is not not really held hostage. Well, he's held and you know told to build you know weapons of destruction and this and that. You can see when they're making sort of the the the, the hostage video with Tony Stark, they have the flag of the Ten Rings behind them. So, are they a branch of the real Ten Rings that they kind of? you know appropriate it for themselves it's not really explained but it's kind of nice to like have everything tied up and say wow there really was or is an army of the 10 rings they do exist the 10 rings are real you know and we get it and and like i said we get it in this film and we get a really good story because what we get here is you know we get introduced, you know, phase four is kind of starting up with, uh, you know, it started with WandaVision pretty much, uh, you know, Falcon and Winter Soldier, everything that we saw there, um, things with Loki, the whole multiverse. Um, I don't know if where what if fits in with there because they, you know, delve into the multiverse and things like that. Then with the films coming up, you know, with um, No Way Home, Spider-Man No Way Home, which we know Doctor Strange will be in, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, um, Ant-Man Mania. you know, we have Phase 4 pretty much up and going, and Shang-Chi is going to be part of that. How is he going to fit in? This movie is a great introduction of Shang-Chi and how he's going to fit into the bigger picture kind of going forward. And like I said, it's a great story here because not only does it introduce us to Shang-Chi, not only does it introduce us to the Ten Rings, how the rings and Shang-Chi, how it will all fit into phase four and, you know, the part that, you know, he is going to play and the rings themselves are going to play. Um you get a pretty good standalone story here uh, of, you know, relationships and just, you know, what do you do? What do you do in situations where, I don't want to say all hope is lost, but what do you do, you, you know, what do you do in these situations really with life? Um, you know, we see Katie, you know, friends with Shang-Chi or, you know, until she finds out that he's Shang-Chi, she knows him as Sean, you know, Katie being this, you know, 20 something who, you know, has, you know, a doctorate degree, uh, but is parking cars for a living because she kind of wants to live life. She doesn't want to be sort of like the perfect daughter or anything like that. You know, she wants to be who she is, but still, you know that is kind of nagging at her is you know what 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 direction is her life going in you have shang chi who was raised you know you know by his father basically you know trained to be an amazing martial artist but also to be you know a cold-blooded assassin and sent out to kill at the age of 14 to kill the man that killed his mother uh who was also you know the love of his father's life and pretty much you know the the death of his mother had such a huge impact on him on his father on his sister and you know it's 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 also the direction of his life it's the direction of you know jaylin her life what did she do after the death of her mother, after her brother leaving her, essentially, um, 
it's about family and how, you know, what really, what is the meaning of family? You know, yes, Shang-Chi had a mother. She passed away or she was murdered. Um, he has a father. He has a sister. But he has a family with Katie, his best friend, and her family and, you know, his friends and things like that. You know, so... Yeah, it's it's a great introduction to who Shang-Chi is and how he's going to fit into Phase 4, and I think that's amazing. But again, kind of taking that part out, almost like you know how people will say, take out Captain America being a super soldier and you know the Winter Soldier program and all that, and Captain America and the Winter Soldier is a pretty good you know spy movie. You know, this is a really good movie about individuality and family and, and the conflicts that all that brings with some great martial arts action in it. And it also happens to take place in the MCU. So how does all this fit into the MCU? Let's 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 go from there. So the Ten Rings, like I said, are something that Shang-Chi's father discovered about a thousand years ago. It's not quite clear. Uh, you know, there's speculation that they fell to Earth. There's speculation that they had been here already and he somehow, you know, discovered them and, you know, did some tomb raiding or stole them from somebody else. But basically, it's an ancient artifact that imbued him with powers, allowed him to live at least a thousand years. And at the end of the film, when Shang-Chi takes control of the Ten Rings and, you know, basically stops his father from unleashing you know, a pretty bad demon on the earth, on the earth realm. The fact that he now is in possession of the 10 rings. And the thing that's really interesting is, is when Shang-Chi's father is in control of the 10 rings, they kind of have a blue glow to them. And the energy signature is like a very blue energy signature. When Shang-Chi takes control of them, kind of using the lessons that his father taught him, that his mother taught him and, you know, kind of finding balance and purpose and things like that. The rings now take on a golden glow, like a yellow glow or a golden glow with a same color energy signature. When this happens, somebody gets alerted. And that person is not Doctor Strange, but Doctor Strange main man, Wong. So Wong has an appearance. If you've seen the trailer, you know that there's a fight club scene and Wong is in it. And yes, and it's awesome. And, uh, you know, again, if you made it this far and you haven't seen the film, I'm not going to spoil it for you. Definitely check it out. But we get a post credit scene um, with Wong basically showing up in classic Wong fashion. You know, he kind of does the sling ring thing. He comes into the bar where uh, Katie and Shang-Chi are talking to their friends. Um, it's a whole thing that goes back to the beginning about growing up and adulthood and everything. Uh, they're basically telling the story. They're basically telling her the story of the movie, and she thinks that they're making fun of her. Like, oh, yeah, right. You went on this mythic and epic quest. And then Wong shows up, basically like paging Shang-Chi. Is there a Shang-Chi here? Uh, so he begins to study them. Wong begins to study them, um, you know, back at, you know, one of the sacred sanctums. And you see that he's conferring with some people. And at first, you know, I kind of think like, oh, wow, it's going to be Doctor Strange. No, it's Captain Marvel and Bruce Banner. Not Professor Hulk, but Bruce Banner. Uh, and they're trying to, you know, and they're asking him, you know, what do you know about the rings? And he says, all I know is my father said he had them for at least a thousand years. He never really told us how he got them. You know, did he find them? Did he steal them? We don't know. And they're trying to say, 
you know, they're trying to figure out exactly what they are. Captain Marvel, you know, looking at them says, you know, they're they're not, you know, they're not Kree, they're not Chitari, you know, she's not sure, she's never seen anything like them. Um, Dr. Banner is like, you know, these are definitely more than a thousand years old. And they discover that, I don't know if it's been all along, I have a feeling that, you know, again, I'll, I'll have to kind of go back and watch it, that once Shang-Chi put them on and it turned from the blue to the yellow, it starts to activate a signal. A signal is being sent out into deep space to who, to what, why, we don't know. So this is how it's all going to fit in. Here's the thing. I was talking with my friend John and, uh, you know, big, huge fan, you know, uh, MCU and all that. And we were discussing kind of Shang-Chi, where does it all fit in, phase four. And he came up with a really interesting theory. So, John, this is your theory. Totally giving you credit right here. Um, he says that, you know, unlike the, the first three phases where Thanos was the overall big bad, like we knew he was the big bad, this phase four and going forward is probably going to have two villains. Uh, Kang the Conqueror, who we know from, you know, at the end of Loki uh, and, and the creation of the multiverse. We know that Kang the Conqueror is most likely going to be a villain going forward. However, with this sort of call out to the universe and, you, you know, with, with things going on there, that there's probably going to be a more galactic or cosmic villain coming. Could it be Galactus? Could it be something similar? Most likely, you know, and what John and I were kind of discussing, what John's feeling on it was, is that you have, you know, this multiverse and Kang and everything, and you're going to have, you know, Doctor Strange, Spider-Man, um, you know, Wanda, um, you know, they're going to be taking care kind of, you know, that situation. And this cosmic issue is going to be handled by, you know, the Avengers who it kind of looks like at the end of the film. Shang-Chi is now an Avenger, it kind of looks like. Um, you know, I, I'm, it's not confirmed or anything like that. But but basically, based on some of the things that were said in that end credit scene, I think Shang-Chi is an Avenger now. And you're going to have the Avengers, the Guardians, and possibly as a way to introduce the Fantastic Four, you know, kind of tackling sort of this cosmic villain. So... Instead of phases one through three, which was was starting out with the creation of the MCU and everything leading up to the whole Infinity Saga and the Infinity War and the Endgame and Thanos and this and that, you know, going forward, we're going to have two possibly more villains to deal with here. And it's almost sort of like things are going to get split. You're going to have, you know, the A1 team is going to handle the whole multiverse thing and the A2 team is going to handle, you know, this big cosmic threat or or, you know, whatever it is that's out there that that's going to, you know, affect the MCU in some way. I think it's a pretty good theory. I think it's a pretty solid theory. Uh there is a second end credit scene. So Shang-Chi's father, he created the Army of the Ten Rings, which ends up to be you know, a criminal organization. At the end of the film, Shang-Chi again takes control of the actual Ten Rings, you know, but his sister says that she's going to go and she's going to disband the Ten Rings. Like she's pretty much going to get rid of, you know, everything that their father did. Well, we see in the second end credit scene that, nope, Ten Rings are still going, but there's definitely some changes going on there. Uh, first of all, we see a lot more women involved. And second of all, we see sort of in their hidden sort of Shangri-La type, you know, hidden layer, uh, we see a lot more technology coming in. Uh, we see a lot of weapons going around. And it kind of is like, okay, 
what's going on with the Ten Rings here? Is it going to be an evil organization? Is it going to put her at opposition with her brother? Or is she going to kind of turn it into more of a heroes for hire thing? Like, look, I got to get paid. I got this kick-ass organization. You know, yeah, I'm not just going to go out and do horrible, horrible stuff. But if you need a job done, you got to pay me for it and I'll do that job for you. Is she going to work with the power broker? Is she going to be at odds with the power broker? That's something that I think might possibly happen because like a lot of these films you know when you get to the to the end credits you know it's always iron man will return in iron man 2 captain america will return in the avengers and this and that um at the end of shang chi we get the 10 rings will return not shang chi will return uh even though I, i'm sure he will uh we get the 10 rings will return and i think what is going to happen is is we're not going to have a 10 rings movie I think we're going to have a 10 Rings TV series or they're going to be kind of dispersed throughout sort of the TV universe. Because that's the thing now is the MCU includes all the stuff that we see on Disney+. And I think, you know, Marvel is really going to utilize Disney+, Plus to kind of be able to now tell sort of stories in between stories or sort of more grounded, ground-based stories. I don't think the Ten Rings is going to do anything with the multiverse. I don't think the Ten Rings are going to do anything with a giant cosmic threat. But there are Earth-level threats. There are ground-level threats and ground-level situations and ground-level stories that, you know, they're going to be involved with for better or for worse. So I thought that was pretty cool that we got introduced to all that. All right. Overall, what was my impression of the film? I think it's a very, very good film. It has great storytelling. It has a very diverse cast. An excellent, excellent cast. The action scenes were great. Uh, I, I did like the fight scenes. Some of them, you know, kind of implied sort of those quick cuts back and forth, which I'm not a huge fan of. But overall, I think the action was great. I think the special effects were really, really good. And like I said, I think everybody did a great performance. It was a great story. It was a great way to introduce a character that really nobody knows about, you know, into the MCU. And that's the thing is I think also going forward to the struggle that Marvel is going to have is you had you established all these amazing heroes. Iron Man, Captain America. Yes, Thor is still around, but it's sort of like, you know, after Endgame, we kind of lost the heavy hitters. We lost the big hitters. We got to start all over now and, you know, introduce people to new heroes and some of the heroes that were kind of B players or side characters or supporting characters in those first three phases are now going to be pushed to the forefront. Good thing is, is they always get remarkable actors to play, you know, all these roles. So I think we're going to be okay. But like I said, overall, I enjoyed the film. I think you'll enjoy it if you haven't seen it already. And if you haven't seen it already, why have you listened this far? But on a scale of 0 to 10 rings, I give Shang-Chi 7.5 rings. Guys, thanks for listening. Do me a favor. Head on over to Instagram. Stuff you don't need to know is there. I post pictures about the content that I talk about. Know it alls thanks for listening. And I'll talk to you guys later.
Felicity 